1: And carry the message of the forgiveness of sins. And if they accept the message, their sins are forgiven. If they accept Jesus Christ, if they don't accept the message, Jesus told them himself, they'll die in their sin. Peter says that in Acts 2. He tells them the born again experience, repent and come to Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Repent. It's the born again spirit. What was Peter doing there? He was proclaiming that Jesus is the way to the forgiveness of sin.
0: Do you realize the gift God has given you? You have eternal life if you've placed your faith in Jesus. You can share this gift with others so that they can be saved too. Today, Pastor Dave will encourage you to share the message of hope with everyone and anyone. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 20 as he continues his message. Receive the Holy Spirit.
1: You are assured. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. If someone died, Jesus could bring them back to life with one word. If they were hungry, Jesus could feed thousands. His provisions are abundant and his presence is a delight. The peace that Jesus was giving them would be the message that the disciples would take to the world. Because the work of the cross is peace. And that's what it says in Romans five one and Ephesians two fourteen and seventeen. And the message that they take and would carry would be the gospel of peace, according to Romans ten. It's the gospel of peace, and they would carry this message. Another commentator said this: "Quote, man declared war on God, but God would declare peace to those who would believe." Unquote. So Jesus came in. He assures them, showing them the wounds on his hands, the wound, in his side, and they saw it. And it was truly evidence that it was him, but it was even more important to them. It was even more important to them. They saw the price that he had to pay for their salvation. In my Christian walk, I've been blessed to have two visions, two visions, in the 30 years that I've been walking with the Lord. And in the one vision I had was most incredible vision is I saw Jesus sitting on the throne, I was sitting on the throne in all his royalty and all his beauty and all his grandeur sitting on the throne. And it was absolutely magnificent. But as I was watching and observing this vision and just reveling in the beauty, all of a sudden the vision changed. And the vision changed into a lamb. A lamb that was completely scarred and there was blood all over the place. For truly Jesus Christ was the lamb that was slain. And when we see him in his glory, will we see those nail prints? Will we see the side... Will we see him? Because the scripture says we'll see him as he is. Will we see those things? Will we, when we see him, will we, see, will we be so lamenting because of look at what happened to him? I don't think the reality of the cross, what really took place on that cross, sinks in sometimes. I don't think we, we gather it, what really happened. When we see him face to face, it'll be most incredible. And that's what I envision I envision him in this beauty, but we have to remember, he is the lamb that was slain. They did horrible things to him. Jesus, seeing that the fear had turned to joy, basically is saying, now you're ready. Now you're ready. And he commissions them. He commissions them for the work that he's called them to do. Look at the second half of 21. As the Father has sent me... I also send you. I asked myself, is this when they became apostles? Because the word apostle simply means one who was sent. Is this when they became apostles? Well, could be, could be. But here Jesus gives his disciples and the other accounts say that there were others gathered with them that day, not just the disciples, not just the 10, because remember, Thomas wasn't there. And of course, Judas was no longer there. But other accounts say that there was others gobbled. But he gives them now this privilege to go forth as the Father has sent me. I'm sending you. What a privilege, but what a huge responsibility. What an enormous responsibility that Jesus is now giving these disciples. When we realize the magnitude of this commission, it not only gives us great joy, but it becomes extremely humbling to know that despite our shortcomings, And despite all our failures, and despite our unbelief at times, and despite even our sinfulness sometimes, the Lord himself is entrusting us with his work. He's entrusting us with the ability to go, go forth, go forth and tell people about him. He's entrusting us with a message of peace, a message of hope. And he's given that to us. And he says, now here, take it. I'm sending you forth. And we know from Matthew's gospel that the great commission that all disciples go and make disciples. Go and, and make disciples. These guys had forsaken him in the darkest hour. These guys turned their back on him in the darkest time of his human life. They left him to face a crowd alone. They ran off like scared rabbits when he hung on the cross. They ran away. Peter denied him three times after boasting that he would never deny him, but yet he would die for him. But in a few short weeks, Peter would be preaching to a, the gospel to a crowd and over 3,000 will be saved. Incredible. But what Jesus does next, I think, not only assures them, but also brings them even more comfort to those that are gathered. For he breathes on them. What? Yeah, He breathes on them. In a time of coronavirus? Yes, Jesus breathed on them. Look at verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on the disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he had spoken of the Holy Spirit many times. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Paracletus, the one who would come alongside. He's spoken of the Holy Spirit many times. In fact, again, just several nights ago at the... um At the last supper in chapter 14, in verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus breathes upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you remember when he spoke to Nicodemus in chapter 3, he told Nicodemus that you must be born again. You must be born of the water and the Spirit. And this was confusing to Nicodemus because he didn't understand. I believe with all my heart that when Jesus breathed on these disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, this was a born-again experience for them. This was their born-again experience. They were born of the Spirit. They were regenerated. They had a rebirth. And Jesus said, "Breathe again." It's interesting here because if you look at the text, John's kind of reminding us of the first man, Adam. John's kind of reminding us that when God made Adam out of nothing, in verse two, in verse seven of Genesis two, God said He breathed life into His creation. God breathed life into His creation, and the Hebrew word now for spirit is rach, R-U-W-A-C-H, rach. And it's the same Hebrew word for breath. Now, when the Greeks translated the Old Testament into Greek, it's called the Septuagint, by the way, the word they used for spirit is pneuma, but it's P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma, meaning air. It's also the Greek word for spirit. And when the Old Testament was translated, like I said, 200 years before Jesus, they use this word. Now, in this passage that John is recording, Jesus uses that word, pneuma. He uses that word. When God breathed into the form he had made out of dust, man became a living spirit. Man became a living spirit. But that spirit died when sin came into the world. That spirit was put to death because the wages of sin is death. Death. And that spirit was put to death, and he lost fellowship with God. And here Jesus is restoring to the disciples that which was lost by Adam. He breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit, and they became alive. They were reborn. They were regenerated from within. He breathed on them new life. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you believe that he died for your sins on the cross and believe that God raised him on the third day, that same spirit now dwells in you. That same spirit now dwells in you. That comforter, that paracletus, the one who will come alongside, the one who will lead you into all truth, it now dwells within you. Dwells within you. When Jesus breathed on the disciples, they became living spirits again. Then Jesus is going to tell them something strange as we get to the book of Acts. He says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Wait in Jerusalem. Well, they've already had the Holy Spirit, but he says, wait in Jerusalem because you're going to give the power. You're going to be, receive power from high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be, and you will be effective witnesses for me when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus gave these guys a commission. These people gathered here said, go and tell others. And then he says, but wait for the power to come, because you cannot go and tell without power. You need the power to go and tell. Same spirit that dwelt in Jesus, the same spirit that rose from the dead, now lives in us who believe. We sang it. We sing it. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. Then he finishes this section by giving the disciples the authority to announce forgiveness And warn others of the guilt now that they have the Holy Spirit. Read verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Hmm. Now, before you get too headstrong on this, don't get confused. You and I cannot, I repeat, cannot forgive someone of their sin. Do you remember when Jesus was in the house and the guys couldn't get in and they dug a hole in the ceiling and they they let this guy down on the bed, the bed came down before him and Jesus said, arise and walk, your sins are forgiven. What did the Pharisees say? Why were the Pharisees mad at him? Only God can forgive sins. That's exactly what they said they were right. Only God can forgive sins. What's he talking about him? What's he talking about? He's talking about that we can carry the message of the forgiveness of sins. And if they accept the message, their sins are forgiven. If they accept Jesus Christ, if they don't accept the message, Jesus told them himself, they'll die in their sin. Peter says that in Acts 2. He tells them, the born-again experience, repent and come to Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Repent. It's the born-again spirit. What was Peter doing there? He was proclaiming that Jesus is the way to the forgiveness of sin. Jesus forgives sins, his death on the cross. He's representing Jesus to the masses. Why? Because Peter was an ambassador for Christ. Peter was Jesus' ambassador. I got news for you. You are ambassadors of Christ. You are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And ambassadors are representative to the highest degree. We represent Christ wherever we go because we go under his authority and we go under the power of the Holy Spirit and we witness his love and we take the gospel message with us. In 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 20, the Apostle Paul makes mention of this. He says, now then... We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. How do you become reconciled to God? Through Jesus Christ. Paul now has given us this beautiful picture of a compassionate and gracious God and a graphic portrayal of the service that we're to render. We're his ambassadors. We take the message. As an ambassador of Christ, we've been authorized. We've been clothed with divine authority. He's given us the authority in Matthew 28. He's given us the power in Acts 8, 1-8, by the Holy Spirit, to speak this reconciliation message. A message of love to an unsaved world. Think about it. You're representatives of the King of Kings. It's a position of high privilege. And it's a position of enormous responsibility. The privileges and responsibility of the others should be assumed with the greatest humility and the greatest of gratitude. Greatest of gratitude. So, what do we do as an ambassador? As an ambassador, first of all, we got to guard against the danger of misrepresenting Christ. We never want to misrepresent Jesus to anyone. We must be diligent to represent Christ properly and adequately by genuinely being Christian. In other words, your walk's got to match your talk. You can't say one thing and do something else. There's got to be a match. It's got to be clear. Somebody has to be able to look at you and go, oh, yes, I see that. I see Jesus in you. Your walk matches your talk. We're messengers. We carry a message that was given to us by our Lord and Savior, a message of peace, a message of hope, a message of forgiveness, and a message of everlasting life. We carry a message with us. God wants to speak to a lost world. He wants to speak to a fallen world, a world that is depraved, a world that is guilty. He wants to speak to him, and He's chosen us to carry the message. We are ambassadors. We are messengers of Christ. As Paul said, we plead to those to come to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus clearly says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And by this commission that was given to us, he intends that we would be communicators of this message, the message of redemption, that both their eyes and their ears would be open and they would see it. And that's why your walk has to match your talk because they're looking at you. They're watching you. You claim to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. I'm from Missouri too. Show me. You, want it, you claim to be a Christian? They're looking at you. They're watching you. We're being watched right now to see how we handle this virus thing. We're being watched how we handle this thing. What we're doing in the midst of this. We come in authority and we come in power of the Holy Spirit when we are baptized in the Spirit according to Acts 1:8. The message we carry is the message of Christ. Paul says, I want to speak nothing but of Christ and Christ crucified. We carry a message of the cross. It's a message of the cross. It's a revelation of what God has done in Christ to save people from their sin. God had promised a Savior long ago, long ago a Savior who would know no sin. Hebrews 4.15, Jesus, was at all points, tempted like we are, yet without sin. God placed our sins on a sinless Savior. Isaiah 53.6, all like sheep we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This sinless one suffered for us, the sinful. First Peter 3, 8. For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring to us, to us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now possible for the sinful to be saved from sin, to be treated as if they were righteous. Romans three twenty-three and 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by grace through the redemption which was in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly at his propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. I'm here to tell you today that Savior is Jesus Christ. God has chosen to work through people. He's chosen to work through you. He's chosen to work through me. A very challenging opportunity, and yet at the same time, it's a fearful responsibility. It's a fearful responsibility. But the Holy Spirit abides in the church and blesses the preaching and teaching of the Word of God to build up the body for the work of the ministry. It says in Ephesians 4.11. God is still today in the business of saving people. Don't ever discount him. The age of grace is not over. The age of grace still exists. And we have been divinely appointed. We've been given divine power. We've been given a divine opportunity. And our task begins the moment we're conversion. The moment you're saved, you're given this charge. So, how do we wrap up? Today, there is a great need. There's a great need for Jesus Christ in the world. An enormous need to know Jesus Christ in this world. Especially in this time of crisis, people are afraid. People are panicking. People are overreacting, doing strange things. Because they are afraid. They have no peace. It's because they don't know Jesus Christ. To them, the answer is fear. The answer is fear. We hold the message of peace that they're searching for. We hold the message of hope that they're looking for. We know the hope giver. We know the one. We have a personal relationship with him. His name is Jesus Christ. And we know him. And God will use each of us to bless those if we yield ourselves to the working of the Holy Spirit and if we become communicators of the love of Jesus Christ and we come as ambassadors so that we too can take the message to a dying world, so that we too can go out of these four walls and take the message to those who are outside who are dying, who are dying in our midst before our eyes, your family, your friends, your coworkers. Your other, your, whomever you run in contact with, wherever you might be, tell them about Jesus Christ. Tell them he loves them. Tell them he died for them. Take the message, ambassador. Take it out there. Don't be afraid. God is with you. You have the spirit of God. Folks, in this time, we need each other. We need to take care of each other. We don't know how bad it's going to get. We're going to meet here regularly until the governor says you can. And then we won't. You can decide whether you want to come or not. We will not judge you if you do not come. You need to decide whether you come or not. But be safe. Be safe. You saw the sign. Love at a distance. Be safe. Wash your hands. Use sanitizer. Be safe. Be smart. The Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. But he also says we shouldn't tempt him. I'm not going to go play on seashore road in front of cars going, hit me, hit me, God will save me. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. We're going to be smart. He's given us a brain to think and to be smart with. Jesus is in our midst, and it shouldn't surprise us like it surprised the disciples that day. But it does sometimes. Sometimes it surprises us when he shows up. Whoa, you're really here. My gosh. It surprises us. It shouldn't surprise you.
0: The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps you were listening. You realized that you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.